Well, hello and welcome. Uh, welcome to everyone joining us today. Welcome to those watching online as well. Uh, my name is Andrew Philbeck. I am the group's pastor, and I'm excited to get the chance to be with you as we continue our Summer in the Psalms series. Uh, last week, Pastor Chris Franklin, he kicked things off by looking at Psalm 13 and dealing with the way David really begins that psalm by asking the question, how long, how long, how long? David begins things uh, by dealing with that. And Chris uh, did a great job talking about that for all of us. Uh, well, today we're moving into a new psalm. We're gonna spend some time looking at the issue of hopelessness. Uh, my family and I just got back from vacation on Friday and there's nothing quite like coming back from vacation and getting to preach a message on hopelessness to really help you make that transition from vacation life to real life. Uh, but one of the things you're gonna see in just a moment uh, as we read through our text is that despite our topic, it doesn't actually seem like a very hopeless passage of scripture. And I think that that in and of itself gives you uh, a clue, gives you some insight into how we should, how we should handle uh, moments or even seasons in our lives of hopelessness. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 30. Psalm 30, that is our passage today. That's what we're gonna be looking at. I'm gonna read the whole thing for you, but we're not gonna do that just yet. So find Psalm chapter 30 and then hold your place there because uh, what I wanna do before we really dive into this text is to spend a little bit of time just talking about the Psalms. I just wanna spend a few moments talking about the Psalms. It's always important for us to know a little bit about what we are studying. Uh, last week, Chris Franklin, he talked about how there are 150 Psalms in this book and they can be broken up into books and when we understand that, it helps us with the narrative flow when we study them. Now, there are also specific types of psalms. Uh, we have psalms of praise. We have psalms of lament. We have psalms of thanksgiving and psalms of wisdom. And while this is a wonderful book for many reasons, one is because this is a book that deals with every situation in life in some way, in one way or another. Even though it's a book of poetry, it's a very practical book. And church leaders throughout all of history have, have said that Psalms should be used by Christians on a daily basis. It's the Old Testament book that is quoted most in the New Testament. And in it, we see a rich and wonderful description. Uh, rather, we see rich and wonderful descriptions of God, of his love, his holiness, his mercy, his faithfulness, all of these wonderful things that we need to be aware of. One of the things that we try to make a point of doing from the stage here at Mount Pleasant is talking about the gospel. And the fact that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies a long way off from God, Jesus died for us. And this means that we don't have to wait until our life looks the right way, until we get everything sorted out and everything in the right order uh, before we can come to Jesus and experience salvation because he wants us just to come to him even as we are. Now, the reason that I say that to you today is because I think as believers, there are times in our lives when we can be so hurt, so confused, so angry, uh, just so scared that we don't actually come to God. 
We bottle up everything that we're feeling inside of ourselves or we let it out in different ways on the people around us. But here's the deal. What was true before salvation is also true after salvation. And this means that we can come to God all the time, no matter what. Even even when our lives as believers are messed up. Not long before my uh, family went on vacation, one of my kids uh, had a drink and, and they spilled it on a chair in the house and then they didn't tell anyone because they were afraid of getting in trouble. But of course, it wasn't really something that stayed hidden for a very long time. And, you know, we, we cleaned it up, we, we sorted it out. And I talked, to, I talked to them and I said, you know, whenever you make a mistake, whenever you uh, do something wrong, whenever there's an accident or anything like that, you always have two choices. You can either run away from me and Kara or you can run to us. Now, here's the deal. I kind of went back and forth on whether or not to tell you that story because I realized that it makes me sound like a much more sane, a much more stable parent than I actually am. Uh, That's just the reality of life. But it's a true story, so I wanted to talk about it. This is the way it is with us and God as well. And what we see in the Psalms is that God wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from us, even if we've done something wrong, even if we're angry, even if we're scared, even if we're confused, no matter what's going on, good or bad, he wants us to come to him. And if God wanted us while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, why would we think that he wants us any less once we become his children, which is what happens after salvation? Now, I'm spoiling a little bit of what we're gonna be reading about and talking about today, but I don't wanna bury the lead because here's the deal. When you're hurt, go to God. When you're confused, go to God. When you're angry, go to God. When you have something to celebrate, go to God. When you are happy, go to God. This is, this is a big deal, a much bigger deal than I think we realize. One last thing before we actually move into our text. One of the greatest things, one of the greatest things that we learn when we study the Psalms, when we spend time in the Psalms, is that we can come to God without pretense. And we saw that a little bit last week when we looked at the way David begins Psalm 13. If you uh, weren't here, if you don't remember that, go back and read, especially just the first couple of verses in Psalm 13, and it uh, can be eye-opening. So, so think about it like this. Let me give you an illustration that, that might help. Uh, let's say that you're confused or you're angry about something going on at work. And so you realize that you need to talk to your boss about it. But here's the deal. You know that you have to kind of measure the way you go about that. You can't just go in there re- really, really angry or really, really on, on fire. And, and, and no matter, even if you're right, you have to measure the way you handle it because things might not go well for you. You can't always tell them how you really feel. You can't always tell them what you really think, especially if they're your dad. But that's just the way that it goes sometimes. But here's the deal. That's not how God wants us to come to him. That's not how God wants us to come to him. That's one of the things that we see in the Psalms. And this can actually be difficult, especially for people who grew up in the church, because they think, well, God is my boss. And here's the deal, that's right on paper. And here's the reason I say it like that. 
I say it like that because what we need more than anything is to let the gospel sink down deep into our hearts and truly change us. That might sound like a strange segue, but here's the deal. Because unlike life at our jobs where we work for our boss, the gospel changes everything because in Jesus, our boss did the work for us. And this changes the nature of our relationship with him. And we don't have to pretend or or hide our feelings because the gospel's not based on what we have done, but it's based on what Jesus has done. And if we don't understand that, what happens is you have people who, who they live really good lives, really good lives, but they don't live gospel lives. And so they, they do good things and maybe even do great things, but what they're doing is building a life built on their own works, not on the work of Christ. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and we performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. What are they saying? What are they saying? They're saying, but boss, we did all this work. And Jesus is saying in response, I never knew you. So we don't go to God like an earthly boss. We don't go to him with with pretense and, and flattery. We go to him like the good father that he is, someone that we can run to when we're excited, someone that we can run to when we're in trouble. We go to him like we actually believe that he died for us. We go to him when we are angry and happy, when we are full of joy and full of sorrow, when we're confused and when we're experiencing great success. Why? Because he can handle it. Why? Because he knows how you feel anyway, so you you can't hide it. Why? Because that's what we see in the Psalms. In the Psalms, we see, we see raw emotions. We see, we see accusations. We see, we see great highs. We see, we see great lows. And even though it's poetry, it's very real. We see people wrestling with the, the realities of life, the difficulties of life. And when we do that, it should remind us of the words that Jesus said Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So now, now that I spent a little bit of time talking about the Psalms, what I want us to do is look at Psalm 30. Hopefully you still have your place there uh, because I'm going to read the whole thing. As we do each week, I'd ask if you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? You can follow along in your your Bibles, on your phones, or on the screen. I'm going to read all 12 verses. David begins, I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones, praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. 
Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me and I was shattered. I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, what will you gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? Can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. You may be seated. We always ask for God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, remember, remember what we're talking about today. We're focusing on hopelessness. What do you do when you lose hope? How do you handle moments that feel hopeless? How do you carry on in a season of hopelessness that feels like it may never end? And the reason I'm reminding you of that is because, at least to me, when I read Psalm 30 at first, it doesn't seem like a very hopeless psalm. It's bookended with wonderful praise And in the middle of it, we see one of the the greatest, most familiar passages, most familiar truths that we should all strive to remember in Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. So if all of this is true, why, why are we looking at this psalm? Why is this where we're spending our time today in light of this topic? Well, we see it really in verses 6 through 10, but specifically what I'm going to focus on mostly is just verses 6 and 7. And it's crucial that this is where we start. So I'm going to read these to you one more time real quick. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me and I was shattered. The place to start when we're unpacking this psalm is right here because what we see in these verses is a hopeless David. This is where we see a hopeless David. If you like to take notes, you can write this down somewhere. Number one, when the good times lead to bad times. When the good times lead to bad times. Like I said, this psalm, David bookends this psalm with praise, but here in the middle, we see the heart of the matter. And what we see specifically in verse six is how David felt. This is just how David felt. He thought, this is what he thought was going on. Verse six uh, tells us that David is on top of the world. Uh, When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. In this verse, what we're seeing more than anything else is the pride in David's heart. We see the arrogance in his accomplishments. What we see is that he thought so highly of himself that he believed that nothing could stop him. And what we don't see, what we don't see actually written in the text, but it's still there, is the reality that if David thought that nothing could stop him, that meant he didn't need anyone else. And if David thought that nothing could stop him, then it meant that he believed the good times would never end. This is what pride does to us. It blinds us. It blinds us. Because here's the deal. All of us sitting here today and all of us watching online, we know the truth. We know the truth about whether or not we need others. And we know the truth about whether or not the good times will ever end. 
But I think the reason that we know those things right now is because we aren't in the moment that David was in. We aren't in the moment David was in. We aren't the ones on top of the world. David's life was going great, and he thought it was because of him, his own abilities and his own accomplishments. You know, David, for all of his actual greatness, is blind to reality in this moment because it's all about him. But the truth is no one ever succeeds on their own, and no success lasts forever. And we can hear that today, and we can nod our heads, and we can agree, but mm, when we're the ones in that moment when we're the ones feeling really good about ourselves or feeling really good about what we have done, it's really hard to stop. It's really hard to stop from thinking those, those uh, deadly words, this time it will be different. Anyone ever been there? Anyone ever thought that or said that? I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it again, but this time it'll be different. Don't worry, it'll be different this time. Don't worry, this time, this time it's gonna be okay. That's pride. That's pride seeping into our hearts. So if verse 6 shows us how David felt, it means that verse 7 shows us the reality. Verse 6 shows us David saying, me, me, me. But verse 7 tells us, your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me and I was shattered. Only after the fact does David realize, I don't know, maybe I should say only after the fact does David remember. But you know what? It wasn't actually all him. It wasn't actually all him. He wasn't the reason for his own prosperity and and he wasn't quite as secure as he believed. But because he had built himself up and because he was boasting in himself, then then when everything changed, when the good times didn't keep going and when something did actually stop him, it didn't just hurt, it wasn't just difficult, it shattered him. That's what our text says. I love that. I love the imagery there because that one word, shattered, it captures the sense of hopelessness that David was feeling perfectly. And the truth is, it's probably something that we can relate to because it's probably something that we have felt or maybe some of us are even feeling today. When the things that we've built our life on, when the things that we've put our hope and our trust in shatter, it's not just the idea that shatters, it's not just the thing that shatters, it's us. We are shattered. And this leads us to what happens next, the second point. Crying out in crisis. Crying out in crisis. In verse 8, he says, I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy. Then in verse 10, he says, Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. Earlier when I was talking about just the Psalms in general and some of the great things that they teach us and some of the things that we should uh, be able to do in our spiritual lives because of them. I talked about how when, when we are going through times of anger or happiness or, or confusion or joy or sorrow, no matter what, we should go to God with it. Go to God with it. And here's the deal. This is gonna sound really strange. I mean that. Obviously, I hope you think I mean everything I say up here, but I mean that. And here's why I say that. Because the truth is, when someone says, take everything to God, 
what happens so often is that what we hear is take all your rough times, take all your hard times, take all your hurts and things like that to God. What so many of us hear is this proclamation to take all of our bad stuff, all of our difficulties to God. And and listen, can you do that? Absolutely. Should you do that? Absolutely. But David's problem was that he didn't take all of his stuff to God. He didn't take his success. He didn't take his prosperity. He didn't take his confidence to God. And so when all of that was taken away, even though it was only for a season, it shattered him. It shattered him. And this is crucial for us to learn from David here because the reality is when we bring everything in our lives to God, everything in our lives benefits from that. That's the truth. That is the truth. When we bring everything in our lives to God, everything in our lives benefits from that. David's success is what led to his failure in this moment. It's what led to his crying out to God for restoration. It was was a crisis of good things. But when we experience good things, we don't usually see them or think about them as a potential crisis. And so we don't typically take them to God the way that we take other things to God. Then what happens? Well, what happens is we live shallower and more superficial spiritual lives during the good times never thinking that the good times can lead to bad times. It's only when David feels shattered, only when David feels hopeless, does he begin to truly take his entire life to God. Scripture tells us things like this in 1 Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything all of it, everything you're going through. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. One last verse that really leads us into our final point. Why do we take everything to God? Romans 8, 28 tells us, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So with that in mind, with the belief that scripture tells us that God causes everything to work together for the good, here's point number three. Joy is always on the way. Joy is always on the way. Now, before I talk about this, and before we get into any kind of application today, I want to ask you a question. What I want is for you to ask yourself a question. Don't ask it out loud, but just ask yourself, do I believe that? Do I believe that joy is on the way? Do I believe that joy is around the corner? And the reason that I'm pausing here just for a moment is because I think that for some people, maybe even a lot of people, this third point about joy is actually really difficult to believe. You go through life I don't know what else to say. Life just kind of wears you out sometimes. And so you hear this, and it can be hard. Maybe you say to yourself, you know, uh, yeah, joy is on the way, but you say it like Martha does when Jesus comes to raise Lazarus from the dead. 
What do I mean? Jesus comes to console Martha and Mary after their brother has died, and this is what he says. He says, your brother will rise again. And Martha's response is this, yes, he will rise when everyone else does at the last day. So many believers, they live with what I think is just kind of this resigned expectation of joy. It's a someday joy. Someday when life is over, then I'll experience joy. And here's the deal. Is that true? Yes. Life in heaven is going to be better. In life... And heaven will experience perfect relationship with God, will experience perfect relationship with each other, and there's going to be more joy, more satisfaction, uh, more fulfillment than life on earth right now. That's the truth. But it's not the whole truth. Jesus didn't come to earth and share the gospel with us so that we could just have a someday joy. This is what he says in John 10.10. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Many people, maybe even most people, they have a very black and white understanding of hopelessness, of suffering and joy. And all I mean when I say that is this simple belief that you can't have one without, or excuse me, not without the other, you can't have one with the other. It makes sense. But what we see in Scripture, and again, what we see in the Psalms is a, is a deeper a richer, a more nuanced understanding of what we experience in our lives. What we see shows us that during hard times, we can have joy. We don't have to wait for our circumstances to change, for our lives to change. And that's a big deal. I mean, one of the most, one of the most quoted passages of Scripture has these words in it. We rejoice in our sufferings. I mean, just like our first point highlighted the fact that in David's life, it was actually the good things, the success that led to his crisis, the opposite is true as well, where we can, we can rejoice in our sufferings because they can lead to times of great joy. And we can continually rejoice in them, not because the sufferings themselves are good, but because God is good. Much of this comes down to the amount of trust we have in Jesus. And this is a big deal because I don't think people often think about this the way that they should. And we trust him with our eternity, but do we trust him with our here and now? Do we trust him with our here and now? And this is where, this is where the gospel plays such a big part because the gospel is not just God up in heaven saying, don't worry, someday you'll be happy, someday you'll experience joy, someday, someday, someday. No, the gospel is, is God coming down to earth and saying, I can change your life right now. So let's think of it like this. Let's just try to keep it simple. If we think of, I say simple, if we think of all of human history as this day, and all of eternity in heaven as someday, what we realize is that God doesn't stay in the someday telling us to wait for it. What we realize is that God comes into this day in the person of Jesus Christ, and not only does that change our someday, but it changes this day as well. And what we see in Scripture is the fact that Jesus understands so much better than we do that what we need more than our circumstances to change is for our hearts to change. 
more than our circumstances, it's our hearts that need to change. And when we experience, when we experience heart change, it's not shallow, it's not fleeting, it's not superficial. It's, we, get, we get peace, we get hope, we get joy. And these are things that, that stay with us continually and they grow in our lives and they, they change who we are from the inside out. We get a joy that reads like 2 Corinthians 4, 17, which says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. I want to read that verse to you again one more time, and I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Psalm 30 begins with these words, I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. And what that does is it lets us know that Psalm 30 is a psalm of praise. But when you study it, when you see the heart of things, you see that this, this happiness, this, this joy, this praise, it only comes after David found himself in a hopeless situation. It only comes after he cried out in crisis. I have three more things for you. Don't worry, I'm going to be quick. But I want to leave you with some applications, some applications, some things that you can hopefully take with you from this psalm, from this episode in David's life, and that you can put into practice in your own life. Uh, the first two are pretty similar, uh, but I think there's still value there. So number one, if you're taking notes, you can start over again. Uh, number one, look past your successes and your failures to Jesus. That's the first application. Look past your successes and your failures to Jesus. When we do this, when we don't let our successes go to our heads, when we don't let our failures break our hearts, we're always focused on Jesus as the source of our hope and the source of our identity. David felt hopeless because the source of his hope shattered. It was himself. It was his own ability. It was all about him. And the same is true for so many people today. They feel hopeless because the thing that they're looking to for hope has failed them. But when we look to Jesus... We look to the only one who will never fail us, the only one who will never let us down. And this is because on the cross, he proved that he was willing to die so that we could have hope. And when he rose from the dead, he proved that nothing could keep us from that hope. Romans 8 says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Our victory doesn't come through us. It comes through Jesus. So our hope, it's not dependent on us. It's dependent on Jesus. And that should give us great comfort and great joy. Number two, worship in your successes and your failures. So we look past our successes and failures to Jesus that keeps us grounded among other things. But it doesn't mean that we ignore them. And here's, here's what I mean. We don't pretend that the ups and downs of life aren't real because they are. We don't pretend that the highs and lows in life are just, you know, all in our heads and all imagination. No, there is, this, this is the reality of life in this world. 
And when we worship in our successes and our failures, what it means is we worship him all the time, no matter what. We trust him all the time, no matter what. And I want you to stick with me just for a second because the truth is, in many ways, it's easier to worship God in our failures. Now, I say this because when I, when I say worship, I'm not talking about just coming to church on the weekends. I'm talking about really coming to God, looking to God, leaning on God, resting on God. In our failures, in our hopelessness, we can feel like God is all we have. And so what that means is we see with greater clarity the reality of how much we need him. We need to do our best to see that truth, that truth of how much we need God at every moment in our lives. Because, you know, when, when our heads are, are in the clouds, all ballooned up by our own successes, it's harder to see our need for God. But that need is always there, regardless of success or failure. That need is always there, whether we're experiencing great joy or great sorrow. And this is why it's so important to have consistent things in our spiritual lives, things like uh, daily devotions, things like coming to church, being in a group, things that will challenge us and remind us, whether we're feeling high or low, that we need to worship God. We don't just need to lean on him, but we need to fall on him. And if you only ever worship God when you have something to say thank you for, or you only ever worship God when you're at the end of your rope, your spiritual life is just going to be up and down, back and forth, and there's never going to be any real progress or growth. Finally, number three, grow in humility. We can't read Psalm 30. We can't see the hopelessness in David's life without pointing to the pride that caused it. And listen, I know it's not very flashy, but I can't stand up here and tell you that I have applications for you today and not say that in one way or another, it all comes down to humility. You know, had David practiced humility in his life, would things have been different? I mean, obviously we don't know for sure, but it's hard to imagine that it wouldn't have changed things. When we are humble, as Jesus calls us to be, it does many things. It keeps pride at bay. When we're humble, it keeps us from, from building our hope on ourselves and our own abilities. When we're humble, it gives us the perspective that we need to understand that the sun shines on the good and the bad, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. When we are humble, we know that God is in control and we can trust God because in our humility, we realize that we don't know what's best all the time. If we're constantly going around telling everybody else what they should do or what, what needs to happen, we need to take a step back in humility. Those are the application points. But here's the deal. I want to close. I want to close our time together today. Even though we're talking about hopelessness and how to handle hopelessness and talking about the importance of taking everything to God all the time, no matter what. I want to close by, by doing something that I'm not sure that I've ever actually done, but I know that my dad does it a lot. But I love Psalm, verse, or excuse me, Psalm 30, verse 5. I'm sure you do too. And so this is what I want to do as we wrap things up. I want you to read this out loud with me, and then I'm going to pray. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Pray with me. 
God, thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you for the fact that whether we are feeling hopeless right now or whether we're feeling great joy, you love us, you want us, and you want us to come to you. I pray, Lord, for each and every person here today and everyone watching this, that they would take advantage of that fact, that we would run to you in our lives. That we would not just wait for things to go south, but we would rest in you all the time, no matter what. Trusting in you, being real with you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.